Hi everybody, long time no see, welcome back to Solo Leveling, and I'm your host as always, Bayada, and I'm so sorry about the hiatus, um, things have been super busy, I got like, I switched over to a new job, and then I got another one, so life has been, uh, rough, kind of, and I really haven't been in the mood to, like, do you know, full reading roundups, but I think that's on me because I, I need, I've realized that I actually need to break things up more. So like, you know, having a bunch of books at the end of each month, I'm like, well, I gotta like do a reading roundup of all of these and stuff. Like that's too much. So I think that I'm just going to do a thing where every time I post a book review, I'm just going to record um, the review of that and my thoughts on it and just you know put it out there and also i might add it i might add an ad um in between so i'll try to do like two reviews together i think and then i'll put an ad to separate them because it would be nice to be able to cash out um you know that is <laughs> the dream i guess so uh let's see so we are going to start this week off with Snot Girl issue one. And this is going to be the spoiler-free section. And then afterwards, I'm going to go more into depth with my thoughts that I didn't necessarily put into the review. So let's get into it. And as always, you can find these reviews on my blog at clearsummers.wordpress.com. And you can find me on Twitter at X-I-A-B-E-A-T-A, Shabayata. So, years ago, I picked up Snot Girl Issue 1, read it, liked it, and promptly forgot all about it. My recent craving for more comics brought me back to it, though, and I'm very glad it did. Snot Girl is written by Brian Lee O'Malley, who also wrote Scott Pilgrim and illustrated by Leslie Hung. It follows 25-year-old fashion blogger Lottie Person, as she, as she recovers from a bad breakup and is beginning to face the fact that she's lonely and has no friends. A chance encounter with a woman one day changes her life, as her night out with her new friend, nicknamed Cool Girl, takes a strange turn. Many people have sung praises about Snot Girl's art, and I'll briefly add to them. Hung's drawings are so bright without being overpowering and switches from that bright insta-ready filter to dark and lonely scenes. It's interesting to me that so far there's still a feeling that Lottie is holding back something from us, the audience, as she's still very aesthetic, even when crying and alone with the exception of some scenes. I wonder if this is a pointed commentary on the romanticization of one's own sadness, as Lottie often sees herself as the victim. And before we head into spoilers, I will say I do recommend this comic. I love how terrible the people are in it, how the style and substance to the narrative and themes, and the mystery at the heart of it. Snot Girl is absolutely worth your time if you're looking for a story like that. And it's amazing how O'Malley nails Lonnie's voice and makes her so distinct. So onto the spoiler section. At first, it seems that Lonnie has everything going for her. She lives in the big city, aka LA or New York, I assume, and is adored by strangers for her fashion sense and persona. I love the first couple of pages because it just immediately rips that band-aid off by showing us how important Lottie's image is and what other people think of her is to her. 
She's vain, quick to judge and deride others, yet deeply lonely. Like there are parts where she, you know, at the beginning we have this um, image of her as like a super fashion blogger. And, you know, with those influences, they're always like putting their sponsors in there being like, I love these jeans or I love this makeup since blah, blah, blah. My skin is cleared. And she's basically like that. But then we see her alone in a restaurant and she and her friends have this weekly or monthly meeting where they get brunch and it's called haters brunch or something and she's the only one who's there and immediately you get the sense oh like this is the kind of person she actually is behind all of the pictures is somebody who doesn't even really have any real friends and all her other friends are bloggers who have their own lives going on and who have you know, their own things going on and are a little bit shallow and a little bit um, vain or self-centered as well. And when you get vain and self-centered people with vain and self-centered people, they can be friends on the surface, but it's hard to form genuine connections. And I've read ahead further, so she does form a couple of genuine connections, which I think is really interesting, that idea of like, if you don't ever let anybody see yourself as anything other than perfect and the image that you want to project you they never will let you see them like that and then you two will never form any kind of real relationship because the real stuff is made when you're not seeing other people at their best so yeah but you immediately understand what's going on in her life and it's emphasized by this one um panel where it's like she has zero new messages from her friends, but then 75,341 notifications from strangers. And she says, my friends are all horrible people. And you see how she talks about them, though, and you're like, yeah, are they horrible people? Sure. But are you also a horrible person and they don't want to be around you thusly? Yes, also that. So... You know, I love that. I love that our protagonist is a horrible person. I'm all for, like, horrible people to a certain degree, you know? And for um, especially messy, horrible girls and women. I I love it. <laughs> and moving on, Lottie's boyfriend has also just started seeing someone else. She doesn't like any of her friends, and her allergies are coming back full swing. She's glamorous one moment, and then crying on her bed with snot running out of her nose stalking people through social media. It's easy to dislike her, but I found this side of her very human. Everybody wants to project a certain image onto the world, and influencers slash bloggers need to do so more than anybody else. It's no wonder, then, that she gravitates towards Caroline, aka Cool Girl, when they first meet. Everything about Cool Girl seems naturally effortless, and Lottie is struck with envy and wants to be her and be with her. I was instantly reminded of that Gone Girl quote, by her depiction. So that Gone Girl quote is from Gillian Flynn's uh, Gone Girl book, and it's also known as the Cool Girl monologue. And it's just this, you know, there's a couple issues with Gone Girl, which is to discuss another time, but it's a really interesting book on uh, media portrayal of, like, white, you know, cis have women and the power that they wield and also it's like Amy Dunn in that book she's she's right but she's also not right at the same time and it's it's that's also a book where like 
nobody is perfect. Like, for sure, there's one villain, but, like, in that book, nobody is perfect. Okay, so, she's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means I am hot, brilliant. I am a hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, and burping, who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, loves threesomes, and anal sex, and jams hot dogs and hamburgers into her mouth like she's hosting the world's biggest culinary gangbang while somehow maintaining a size too because... Cool girls are above all hot, hot and understanding. Cool girls get never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. Go ahead, shit on me. I don't mind. I'm the cool girl. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in that monologue that itself is, you know, misogynistic. Like that idea of like, if a woman is like any of these things that she's doing it for men or whatever but at the same time it does point out that there is that some women are like that and they feel forced to do that and the can see that is that she sees herself as above all women because of her own internalized misogyny and she doesn't see other women as necessarily as much if not even more victims of a patriarchal society as her um but yeah that's what what cool girl aka caroline reminded me of um just like the whole vibe she gives off like and of course that idea of Lottie um seeing that and being like oh she's so effortless like I wish I could be like the like her and that's exactly what some people think of Lottie too but it's funny because you would think that being the face and understanding all the bush bullshit that happened behind a persona as an influencer would help you see the bullshit that other people project more but it actually doesn't because you get so invested in your persona that you get invested in other people's personas too if that makes sense so moving on the point isn't that these types of girls are fake but that Lottie's need to put everyone including those she deems her friends into personas is symptomatic of her own fractured persona as she pointed out at the beginning no one realizes her blogger persona is an illusion, but does she either. It's a painful and honest depiction of the thin veneer of confidence. Society trains girls to pit themselves against other girls from a young age, so it's no surprise that women continue to do so as adults. I like how Snot Girl doesn't shy away from, from critiquing this, but also points out that men are not exempt from creating personas either, as evidenced by Lottie's ex-boyfriend Sunny. I also like how much the story focuses on women. The male characters are certainly there, but it's about how the women feel about them. And there's a difference, right, between, like, the Bechdel test, let's say, where, like, such a low low bar, really, but, like, does, do your female characters talk to each other about anything other than men? And So there's a difference between, like, the men are at the center of all these girls and women think about versus, like, the men are definitely at the center of some of the conflicts and some of the thoughts going on but and it's about them but it's also about why do girls need men right like why do women feel the need to go back to men that they might not even care about or give a shit about like why um and as we saw, I think, in this issue, when she finds out that Sunny's seeing somebody else, her first thought is, like, is she prettier than me? Is she younger than me? And then, oh, good, she's only younger than me. And it's that kind of thing that is very realistic and that 
as much as you know, I the reader may think of myself as above that. Like I've definitely had those kinds of thoughts before as well, where it's like I haven't even met this person, but I'm judging them, and and it's kind of like that Olivia Rodrigo lyric of like, I hope you're happy, but not happier than when you were with me. You know, that idea of like, I still want to be the best that you've ever had. You can move on, but like, I don't want you to move on to somebody better. And that's, that's where it really gets you. Yeah. So like, there's a difference between centering your entire life around men versus like, um, a piece of fiction, like asking why some women do that. So moving on, the girl's night takes a dark turn One Flotty excuses herself to use the bathroom. Curiously, her snot seems to get worked up when she experiences uncomfortable emotions, things that crack her demeanor and there isn't a clear solution. Her new doctor, whom she calls Dr. Dick, prescribes her a new medication that doesn't seem quite right. And I laughed really hard at these panels where she's like looking at her new allergy medicine and it says like con- congestex right like take one pill per day as needed do not operate heavy machinery or make important life decisions which i feel like that should be on a lot more pills actually um so i think that this is definitely a part of the story and a part of i guess the whole mystery of what happened that night like there's definitely other things that are a part of it as we'll see later on but i think this is you know, like this, why else would you put in this story of her getting a new doctor and this pill bottle and new medicine? So moving on, when Cool Girl follows her to the bathroom, she initially comforts Lottie. However, she then taunts her and calls her snotty. And within the next page, she's dead. It's not clear what happened, and the next issue opens with Lottie still shaken and afraid of being arrested. What's particularly striking to me is that after Cool Girl dies, Lottie reverts to calling her Caroline. The persona is stripped away and Lottie must confront the actual person behind it. And there's this whole thing where she, um, you know, you don't actually know what happened. Like, did Lottie push her? Did Lottie, like, do something to her? Or did Caroline just collapse? Did she slip on something? What happened? Um, but, like, the last few panels are of Lottie thinking, oh, Caroline, I... I really wanted us to be friends. And that says to me, I don't think she did anything to Caroline. I think like Caroline, as silly as it sounds, I think something happened to Caroline or there's a blank space in Lottie's memory where like someone came in and did something that might have killed her. And, but I don't think Lottie actively did it um, just because it didn't feel like, like she was very active, I guess, in a murderous way or physically uh, aggressive way um but who knows right um maybe again that is purposefully taking out uh that implication for the readers but yeah a very interesting first issue it's packed with style and little hints into Lottie's psyche that make it a great reread I look forward to continuing these adventures with her yeah so I really like um I really like all the commentary on personas on social media, on how even the most in the know, I guess, of us all, like influences still 
fall for the facades that other people put up because it's you know you're always worried about being revealed as a liar or as fake um that you never think of anybody else as a liar or fake or maybe you go the complete opposite direction where everybody is a liar or a fake um because that's just how you feel so yeah that was uh snot girl and i will be continuing those comics and my let's see what should we do afterwards you know what i'm going to do something that i didn't really like um so after the break i'm going to come back and talk a little bit about portrait of a thief by grace d lee and i will see you then thanks for tuning in hi there and welcome back to uh solo leveling and we are going to be talking about portrait of a thief now so if you listen to the ad break thank you so much i really appreciate that and without further ado let's get into a uh, portrait of a thief by grace dealey which oh my gosh good premise it was not there for me though and i just want to say that this is one of those books where i'm like i hear about it i'm like oh this sounds really interesting like this sounds like like everything that i'm into and then you read it and you're like hmm, that wasn't really what i wanted from it it's i guess it was okay but then you think about it more and you're like actually i really didn't like it i didn't like it actually and so that was definitely one of those books for me and i'm going to uh give you a brief summary of it first of all so what is portrait of a thief about it has been called an ocean's 11 meets the farewell uh mashup it's a lush lyrical heist novel inspired by the true story of chinese art vanishing from western museums about diaspora the colonization of art and the complexity of the chinese american identity so all of that stuff sounds really great especially because i'm chinese chinese american too and i'm also interested in art and you know very recently like in my college years i i started actually thinking about what's in our museums and what you know the spoils the looting of the loot from colonization that we keep there for educational purposes and that we present as you know some great part of american culture and society but it's not actually even ours so i find that topic especially interesting but unfortunately i'm just going to get into this book and like uh first of all i'm going to get into the spoiler free section so I really wanted to like this book more than I did. Portrait of a Thief is great in what it attempts to do and in creating a common core for all of its Chinese characters. By the way, I'm sorry if you hear that noise. My air conditioner is on now, so hopefully it's not too bad. But these are all college-age kids searching for something new, for financial stability and for freedom to be more and to find something meaningful in their lives. And this Lee succeeds. However, Lee struggles with juggling five perspectives in this book. The voices of her characters often blur, and many of them aren't given enough time to distinguish themselves and for them to show who they really are. I found that sentiments and traits were repeated so often for people, especially Irene. She's described as beautiful and charming, slightly cold, so many times that I wanted to say, "Yes, we get it. Please move on." 
I like people who know they're beautiful and will manipulate their beauty for their own gain, but I prefer there to be an element of skill in it still. Charming someone involves body language, reading the target correctly, and connecting with them in some way to render them emotionally vulnerable. Because the characters were shallow, the romances in Portrait of a Thief suffered too. I understand how people bonded, but the chemistry was not there for me. That brings me to another issue I had with the characters, which is that their skill does not feel earned. The heist aspect of the book is rather shallow and flat and will not be satisfying for people looking for a good heist book. Uh, sorry. <laughs> okay. The characters have skills like being able to hack security cameras, use sleight of hand, and race cars very well, but it's not impressive when they actually use these skills. I wanted to see them practice and to feel wowed by them so that I could believe their heist escavades more. I think this problem shows why heist movies are most successful, often, with exceptions, of course. You can show the thief utilizing this skill set and immerse the viewer more easily in the action. The character that I did like reading the most about and the one that stood out to me was Daniel. Daniel's relationship with his father, with Will and Irene, his gentle empathy and his desire to rebel was wonderful to read and more moving, though he shares many uh, traits with the other characters too. What is up with my, like I'm reading my review and there's so many errors in it. And I'm angry. I'm like, what was I thinking when I wrote this? Um, they're continuing on. Otherwise, in good faith, I cannot say that I rooted for the team. They are so privileged in many ways that their theft didn't feel dissimilar to the other team full of rich kids of thieves. These are kids that have jobs at Microsoft and Google who are going to med school, who have cruised their way through life with the exception of Lily, who is distinctly working class. Art that has been placed in museums has always been elitist. Think of the money, the transportation, the free time you need to spend your time at a museum. And this book doesn't exactly address that elitism. It addresses the racism and colonial theft of Western museums, but it doesn't go more into unraveling the other ways museums can uphold oppressive structures. This makes it one note because as a book discussing the power art has, power is shown in only one way. It also doesn't address how even our heroes, our gang of thieves, wield their own power and that no one should have $10 million. No one should have that much power. This quote at the end of the book says it all. Irene thought of power, how it might be inherited, how it might be held. Someday she might want to be there too, to know how it felt to hold your hand over the pulse of a country. So after reading this quote, it's just like, hashtag girl boss, I guess. Overall, I like how Portrait of a Thief called out imperial theft and how art is about power and access. It is empowering to read about five Chinese and Chinese-American students taking back Chinese stolen art, but the execution did not satisfy me. I recommend reading Do the Right Thing. Mainstream museums and galleries need to end their racist and elitist practices and become genuinely inclusive institutions, argues Carlos Tortolero, available uh, here, and I'll link it, um, as an introduction to the power of museums. Some of the things Tortolero brings up are addressed upon in Portrait, I'm so sorry, my review, uh, addressed upon, like, this is just proof I should not be writing reviews late at night, um, by Portrait of a Thief, but others including the elitism I talked about aren't. And, and so now we're going to get into the spoilery section. So this review I wrote when I was still feeling okay about the book. 
So I didn't love the book, but I was like, it did accomplish what it set out to do. But then when I slept on it and then I came back, I'm like, this was really like baby's first book, like baby's first step towards exploration about power and museums and, you know, racism and elitism in that kind of institution and in the art field. And I think that's on me because I really wanted way more from the book. But I also think that genuinely it just was not a good story. Like the characters were not good. The heist wasn't good. Very few parts of this besides, you know, that exploration of Chinese identity and feelings and the idea of uh, what does it mean for these teenagers who are about to graduate college um, to do this? Why would they do it? Why? What motivates them? Like, think of the freedom, think of the independence and how tempting that would be for these kids who have their entire life set ahead of them and who want to make their family so proud because they come from generations of people who didn't have that privilege of, you know, going to college or having this much money and the opportunities open for them in America. And I think that's very real, the pressure of children of immigrants who feel that way and who have, you know, the burden of their ancestors' expectations on them is what quite literally they say at one point in the book. But at the same time, I'm like, five, handling five different perspectives is rough. Like handling two is rough, but five is way too much. And I really genuinely think that the book suffers because of so many perspectives and that each character was not necessary for the heist and for the book at all and that I really think it would have been helpful if maybe you know like you look at each character and you're like what what separates them what are the distinguishing characteristics that I want to talk about specifically about Chinese and Chinese American identity with this character and it ended up so that all these characters felt blurred like all of them felt like oh they're trying to do this for their family, yada, yada, they want to be free, all of that. And it, it's just not interesting. Like, one character like that, fine, but, like, four other characters also like that, not good. Um, um, yeah, so this book just became exhausting to read after a bit, and I even complained about it with my friends. So this is what, what I said when I was like, oh, this actually was not good. So I said, it could have been so good. Halfway through, I realized it was going downhill and started hating everything about it. And the ending just cinched that hatred for me. It was such a letdown, like said almost nothing original about the Chinese diaspora and about power and how museums work to uphold oppressive systems like elitism too. And the writing just really bugged me at times, especially like lines. You know, there are some really good lines in there. Um, like immigration stories and unfamiliar history, what it was like to grow up knowing you had more than all your ancestors combined, privilege, responsibility, all those words that sometimes had a weight too heavy to bear. In the end, that was what this heist was, a way out. If they could do this, it might be enough. I was like, that's great. Like, good writing right there. But then there's other points where they're like, we're the diaspora. All we know is loss. And this is a character saying this to another character, right? So I was just like, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, shut the fuck up, basically. <laughs> Especially someone who is very privileged. Like, he goes to Harvard. His sister 
um, cinched like a position at some financial consultation company in New York, like he's going to have a fine future ahead of them. Like his parents even, you know, they weren't happy, but they let him study like museums and odd. So it was like, I, I just can't, I cannot deal with this person saying, all we know is lost. Like, please. Um, and I'm also really sick of the Chinese parents don't know how to show their love trope, but all of a sudden they do by the end, which I'm thinking especially of Daniel's dad. And with that, I was just like, okay, you know, like, it makes sense, like, their conflict, them distancing after the mom's death, like, the whole idea that, you know, she died in America and that the family didn't have to be in America either. Um, and she could have died in her homeland. And that just really separating the dad and son. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he suddenly realizes that he does love his son and shows it in these different ways. And I'm not saying that parents can't show it in surprising ways. They obviously can. But it just feels like like a very easy band-aid that was put over because they didn't even really talk about their feelings and about like the mom so that felt iffy to me um yeah going back to that quote about Irene and about power like how how could you make me how could you try and sell this kind of sentiment as empowering it just aggravates the hell out of me you cannot say fuck museums because they took out author colonization and art has always been about power and then do this shit like literally aligning yourself with millionaires because you stole some art but you're better i guess um and if you're not giving that money to impact the communities getting gentrified like chinatown but back to rich mainland chinese people it just absolutely undermines your entire story um so yeah like that was super aggravating to me um and i think i'll i'll go more into the characters because i feel like i have to talk about them so we've got five characters we have like lily will and irene will and irene are siblings and then we have daniel my favorite and we have there's someone else but who is it um Who's the other gay one? Um, let me see. Okay, you know what? There's basically all you need to know is that there's a really fast driver. There's the um, hacker who's really good at technology. There's Daniel who... I don't know why they had Daniel, but he has connections to FBI. So I guess that's why. And he knows how stuff gets stolen. Okay, sure. Um... And they have Will, who... Will is kind of useless. Like, his sister is very charming, and she always gets her way and whatnot, and she does all that stuff. But for Will, it's like, he's he's kind of charming, but he really coasts by on being a pretty boy. Like, literally just... That's another thing I'm sick of, is that I'm like, if if I have to read another description of a male character as, like, super charming, I'm... And super charming in like a very pretty boy way. I'm going to like end. I'm gonna shut the book. Like I'm just sick of it. 
Like I'm sick of um characters being depicted as actors, basically. Like please, I am begging you, make your characters realistic, especially for heists. And I can't help comparing this to like the lies of Locke and Lamora because I'm like in that, right? Like like the fact that Locke is so fucking plain works so well in his favor and that's what you want because if you are too beautiful and too attractive you get noticed and people remember you so you don't really want someone on your team who's like that and like everybody on the fucking team is like that everyone's so pretty um and I'm just sick of it (laughs) so where's my ugly Chinese or regular average um Chinese looking representation out there please ah yeah yeah so yeah that was um part of that and then I was like again all of these captives like ended up being so milk toast by the end Daniel was the only one that had any like real meaningful um development and I just hated also the w slash w relationship between Irene and one of the girls just because I was like, I don't support this. They have zero chemistry. They were just mean to each other, or specifically Irene was just being kind of, you know, rude to her at the beginning, and they were never really part of a team. They never felt like that. And they never brought out the best in each other or saw different sides of each other. What, Where is the romance in this? And I feel like, like, it was just shoved in there to say, look, WW, like, representation, like, it's not good, it's not a good romance, though, like, if you don't have a meaningful romance in there for these two main characters, why even do it? For the brownie points? Okay, I guess that's why. Um, so that's how I felt um, about that romance, and And I was just like, I can't believe that I'm actually rooting more for like, I see more for like Daniel and Irene because Daniel has a very unrequited love for her. And I was like, I see more on that end or between Daniel and Will versus Irene and that other girl. Like I see the history there. I see the chemistry there more than with Irene and that girl. Um, So that was another thing that I did not like. And yeah, I think that on the cover it's like Will which I was just like why the fuck did you put Will like out of the five the most boring character by far um and I think I will say I think that one thing that's interesting about him is that like he has an insatiable desire that nothing will ever be enough like no person nothing really not even this odd heist like can really fulfill him And I think that's a hunger that's very relatable and very interesting to think about. And yet that isn't really done super well either. So yeah, Um, I think there's, oh yeah, for the heist themselves, I was just like, fuck, this is boring. Like um, literally you just go in there, you turn off the cameras and then you smash the glass cases open and run out and that's it. And I'm like, listen, it's fine if it's that way, but don't sell your book as such a good heist, as a heist book then. And maybe it was just me again, but I feel like I, from what I was hearing, from like the way, even like, you know, what they're saying, Ocean's Eleven, right? Like, meet the farewell. Like, you're saying this stuff, you're comparing it to a famous heist movie, one of the most famous heist movies 
and it's not a good heist, you are mis-selling something. <laughs> Please, I would not be as bitter as I am if you didn't mis-sell this to me. <laughs> so, but you know, publicity, right? Like, that's how you got to sell the book. Like, it's more interesting if you present it that way. Um, so I understand that. I'm still angry about it, but I understand it. So, but that was Portrait of a Thief. I feel like I've been ranting enough about that for right now. So thank you for tuning in, and I'm going to be seeing you next time for some other reviews. And yeah, like, Thanks if you made it all the way here. I hope you enjoyed the reviews. Again, you can follow me on my blog, clearsummers.wordpress.com or on Twitter and also on other social media. And I also write for The Anime View, which great um, anime blog and manga blog. So I really recommend that. So yeah, I will be seeing you next time. Bye.